0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. Welcome, everyone, from Bristol Studio. This is Ninety Four and More. I'm Jake Fenster. And I'm Professor David Hollander. In this series, we explore how basketball can challenge us to rethink systems and ideologies in service of reimagining our world in new and unexpected ways. Throughout this season, we will be speaking with a variety of guests, from authors to artists, academics to athletes, and many more. All united in a shared love and reverence for basketball, we will bring into focus the game's impact on the greater culture at large. Let's jump in. Are you wearing a beanie, Professor, in your office right now? And did I see an undershirt?
0: <laughs> well, it's not an undershirt. It's, it's an overshirt. It's a, it's, a, it's a Bristol studio.
1: Got you. I'm referring to the, the black sleeves there underneath the Bristol shirt. Why are you asking me so about my intimate garments? I don't know. It just kind of threw me off. Uh, uh, it's 90 degrees in LA right now. So I, I guess oh. I, I forget what it's like to be in New York in October.
0: I'd like to forget right now because it's a little <laughs> cool. And in my office, uh, for some reason, my office, not anyone else's office, mm-hmm. but in my office, they turn off the heat on Fridays. That's when we're recording Friday. And I'm cold. <laughs>
1: So that's not like an NYU policy. That's just a Professor Hollinger's office policy. <laughs> it is
0: not a policy that all professors in their office on Friday wear a ski hat. Um, but 80% of my body, they say, I mean, I'm not a biologist, but they, right. they say that 80% of your body, heat escapes um, through
1: your head. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm, So this is out of necessity. This isn't a, a fashion choice here. <laughs> Clearly,
0: <laughs> my, my choice and fashion are not two words that I often throw together. Clearly. All right.
1: Well, well, we can uh, we can move off of it. I didn't mean to give you a hard time about it. You didn't mean to humiliate me on our first podcast. That wasn't the intention. That's just kind of naturally what happened. Um, but but yeah, I think we can move through it and uh, and hopefully get through this episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jake, we've moved through a lot uh, over the years. We have
1: we have you know does everyone know like our i don't think they do i don't think anybody really knows
0: jake fenster was my student and i'm proud to say that i'm so proud to have continued our relationship and it gratifies me to no end that you still call me
1: professor <laughs> well i spent a lot of time thinking about this probably more than i should have um, I might overthink it, honestly, but whenever I hear people call you Dave or Hollander, it just feels like something's missing. Uh, and I just feel like professor makes sense. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, you're I think- the, you're probably the, you're the only person in my life, right? Like I grew up going to schools where you called your teachers by their first name. And for some reason, I just refuse to call you by your first name. So professor, it is.
0: I think we've earned this relationship. And, um, I like it. Me too. Well, I'm going to introduce our guest. Um, and, and, and for me, th- this introduction will be part fable and part what I know. Um, because I, I often imagine our guest as a young boy, maybe nine or 10 years old on a basketball court with his close buddies. And he says to his buddies, When we grow up, we're gonna all have a business together and it's gonna be about basketball. And all our favorite basketball players are gonna know about us and like what we do. And cool brands like Nike and Adidas and Uninterrupted will work with us. And cool magazines like Slam, Complex, Hypebeast will write about us. I promise you guys, we're gonna do this. And as he got older, He started to fuse that dream with other visions he had about art, design, cities, media, and the overall human condition. The result is our guest today, co-founder and creative director of Bristol Studio, Luke Tadashi, a mashup of fable and truth, who now, as a man... Honors that promise he made as a boy, never wavering in his commitment and integrity in actualizing that vision of design, community, and creativity, which includes this podcast. Luke, welcome to
2: 94 and more. Wow, that is an incredible intro. I appreciate it, Dave or Professor Hollander, uh, if I'm uh, speaking Jake's language. But, um, no, I think that the one thing that needs to also be added to that is that uh, the only reason this all happened was he wasn't good enough to fulfill his hoop dreams of actually making it to the NBA and playing professionally. So maybe that's a, a good place to start.
0: <laughs> well, uh, well,
2: how close was the rest of it in, in my imagination to reality? The rest of it was actually pretty close, you know. I mean, there was never that conversation on a basketball court with uh, Masai or Jake or any of our other buddies, like this is something we're going to do one day. But I think it was close in spirit in the sense that basketball was always my way into culture, if that makes sense. Um, As a kid, basketball was how I, uh, you know, found found out about hip-hop was how I connected with uh, style um, through what my favorite basketball players were wearing. Um, and as I grew older, you know I, I started to think, I guess more deeply about these things and it wasn't just anymore like hey the, like those baggy jeans are cool or like that the way that that white t-shirt falls on your on your chest says something about who you are, but it was like, uh, it became something I think a little deeper, um, and it was really uh, I started to understand style as a really intimate way of self-expression and saying something about the to the world about who you are. So let's tie it back to just
0: the the basics. You played, and that was a body experience. That was a mind experience. So, what is the my therapist, I think, calls it like the the emotion tone. Like if you could describe the physio-neuro feeling that you get when you said, oh, basketball,
2: life, things I like, what is that? That's a great question. I think, and you talk about this, Dave, but I think the best word for it is transcendence. I think that when I'm on that court, as funny as it sounds, I'm at one with the universe. And there's no place else in my life that I quite get the same feeling. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. I, I have some ideas about it. Um, you know, I think to be in that setting with other people, oftentimes friends, and being in a physical setting where you're expressing yourself physically with other people, but also you know, you're forced to interact and communicate in ways that you don't in other parts of your life, I think is really powerful. And I, for whatever reason, basketball is just always the place that I went for comfort. Uh, for It was my sanctuary. You know, I think about the, the major moments in my life, even when I struggled on the basketball court. And I remember like, you know, coming home from practices, like really intense AU practices and Having coaches chew me out and you know I'd come home and like try not to be crying in front of my mom or whatever and like later that night I would go out in the driveway and I would shoot hoops again because it was just like my way of even processing like the the pain that I experienced on the basketball court Um, and then even more joyous moments like I think back to like my wedding and I don't know if People know this, but like on the day of my wedding, it was very important to me to have a basketball run. So, like hours before the ceremony.
1: It, I, it wasn't, it, it just, to, I was there. So, before Luke continues with this, so I can, as an outsider, provide some context. I believe it was like we finished an hour before the wedding ceremony or like two hours. Like it was quick. It was like. It was like run home, shower, throw like on like your Sophia's suit.
2: is going to kill me if I'm not ready. You're walking down the aisle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But um I remember being I was the one like
2: hey Luke, what time's your wedding, man? Isn't it kind of kind of soon? I also remember like, everybody yeah, kind work. of being like, Don't don't hurt him, don't touch him, like let, let him have his moment, like let him let him go <laughs> off today. Like <laughs> give him was, the ego boost. <laughs> give me the ego boost and make sure I'm not hopping uh hopping down the aisle later. But um, but no, you know, and I, I think about when my son was born, like all I was thinking about in the profundity of that experience in that moment was like man I can't wait to like take him onto a basketball court and like dance with him on a court and I know that's like that's unusual language to describe the movement or actions on a basketball court but that's how I see it I I always saw it as much an art form as much a dance as it was a sport um, because it was the way that I expressed myself it was the way that I processed what was going on in my life
1: and, uh, just to kind of jump in and take it back a little bit, you've been speaking about maybe these moments or collection moments when you kind of found yourself using the game for sanctuary. Um, but can you think deeply about the first moment, maybe when you fell in love with this game, uh, what that was like? Anything that sticks out from, from that, early, those early days playing and, you know, were your parents pushing you to play basketball? Was it something you found naturally? What was that? Early experience, like
2: yeah, it was never something my parents pushed on me until they realized like I had uh, I had a real love for it, um, but that love was developed on my own. Uh, I think it I think it kind of came to be because I would I, I have early memories of like watching the Bulls play in the playoffs with my dad at our house um, and just you know anybody who watched Michael Jordan can just tell you what an experience that was, but I think. Like, I remember we had a little plastic Fisher Price hoop, um, like that famous one of like LeBron is a kid with it, except I didn't grow up to become LeBron. So, I had the same hoop. But I remember practicing reverse layups on that hoop when I must have been like, you know, I don't know, four years old or something. And the the satisfaction of getting that move right and the ball falling through the hoop was, was was best was was second to none um so i think that was like early on kind of how i uh how i came to fall in love with the game
0: and you know i you said in the beginning of the conversation uh kind of you know like and you didn't get to go play pro and and but today you're not playing pro you're not in a com- you know, uh, uh, some kind of AAU, elite, uh, you know, survivor mode. So what is it now that
2: you find when you go play? Yeah. Or what are you uh, looking for? You know, I think uh, it's my my relationship to it has changed, which has been beautiful because, as you mentioned before, there was this very, like, hyper-competitive environment of AAU basketball, of high school basketball, of college basketball. And um, there were parts of it that I loved. Like, I loved the competitiveness. But I also... There were moments where I didn't want to be tapped into that mindset of always having to be on, always having to look at, you know, the person across from me as an opponent that, like, I have to kill. (laughs) Um, And that just, like, you know that's a very particular mind state to have to be in. So today it's so nice to be able to just like let go of that and dance on the court with friends.
0: Yeah. So what is that dance? Where, where are you like, like, that's what it is, right? You're, you're feeling some other kind of relationship to the people on that court.
2: Yeah. I would say joy is probably the best word for it. You know, I think that, uh, joy describes it so perfectly because there's just no other place in my life where I step into an environment with other people and get to dance and get to just be. And for, you know, I, on that court, I forget about whatever issues or challenges I'm working through with my business or, you know, maybe like whatever obligations I have to do later on that day or whatever that is. And I find myself just fully dropped into the present moment in a way that is hard for me to reach in other times in my life. And I know that you
0: feel so strongly about that, that as part of the Bristol Studio concept is you want to make that space for others. You insist on creating a run. Talk about like the extension of you into that
2: creation and why, what, you, what, you, what are you trying to do there? 100%, I think that for me, because I know it so intimately, basketball has this ability to bring people together in a way that nothing else in my life has shown me. And so I always felt like as a basketball lifestyle brand, it was of utmost importance to me that we created that space for other people. And so, every Saturday right now, we host a run in uh, in our hometown and we just invite, you know, friends, family, people that we have come to know and bring them together in that space to play basketball. And we're very clear about our intentions with that. Um, so, at the beginning of every run, you know, like I think back to one of my coaches, actually dear, dear coach of mine who I who I still love to this day. But he used to bring us all together before practice to pray. And a lot of parents didn't like that because, you know, you're kind of bringing a religious component into this sport. But I, and I'm, and I'm not super religious or anything, but I always really appreciated that because I felt like it was connecting it to something more spiritual. And, you know, for me, I just replace God with whatever that is that I believe in or that I am attached to. Um, and at our run, I try and do something similar where I don't necessarily make it about religion or spirituality necessarily, but it's like, hey, like, we all carved out two hours of our busy lives to come together into this space. Let's make sure it counts. Let's treat each other the way we w- would like to be treated. Let's, um, you know, let's laugh. Let's have fun. Let's not take it too seriously. Nobody here is uh, trying to get an MBA contract anymore. So, like, let's just, let's just enjoy the dance.
1: How do you get there right? from playing competitively your whole life? And obviously, I, I grew up with you and your family, so I have a sense of your basketball history. Um, how do you go from always looking at the next level, trying to get better and better and beat out the competition, you know, hoping to make it to the NBA, definitely planning on going to college to play in some capacity? How do you shift from that mentality to now play, to return to play, the purest
2: form of basketball where it's just about Being out there appreciating the time you have on the court? I don't know. It's really easy for me, as funny as that is. I think, like, I think one of the reasons I never made it to that level was because I didn't always want to be on like that. You know, I wanted my experience with basketball to be something a little bit more joyous, uh, fun, and I, don't get me wrong, I love the competitiveness, but there's times where I don't want to be competitive. And I think that that really speaks to also the spirit of Bristol Studio, right? It's like the brands that for the last 50 years have dominated the basketball market. It's this narrative of like athleticism, performance, being the greatest, dominating the competition, physicality. And while all that is good and well, I think there's a whole nother side to this sport that hasn't been captured through the lens of a brand. And that's what we're doing. You
0: know, that's what impressed me so much when I first met you Uh, and when I, you know, all my early conversations with Jake is exactly what you expressed, which is you've got a bigger idea here for a much larger planet of people who can enjoy basketball and i guess talk more about your thinking as you're creating things for bristol studio how do you do that what what are you saying to yourself like hold on i want this to be about this kind of
2: basketball not that kind of basketball yeah a big part of it for me is about tapping into genuine memories and experiences that I have around the game, because I feel like those are personal to me and nobody else has those. So in a way that that's my superpower. Um, And so, you know, I think about certain pieces that we've become known for, and that's like the reversible sweatsuit, right? And that piece really came from my memories of basketball practices and our coaches saying, all right, like, one team reverse your jerseys, the other team stay blue or whatever. And I always was fascinated by that, I don't know, that utility of a garment to be two things at once. And I was just a, I was a garment nerd like that. So I always felt like there was a way to weave that into like a more thoughtful uh, statement than just, you know, we're making a practice jersey or whatever, but like maybe there could be something that you use every day in your life that you feel good in, that you feel you can walk into any room in, but also at the same time still attaches you to those memories and those moments as a kid. Uh, Another example being our triple hem shorts, which are probably our hero piece. And they're the only basketball short that has three distinct hems. And that comes from this idea of layering and stacking that's found in the style of basketball culture. So, the time that I grew up, I remember we would always wear mesh shorts under jeans or we would wear three pairs of socks or we would wear two white shirts over a tank top. Like all of these different uh, ways of expressing yourself through style, my eye always made note of those things. And so, now it's about bringing those back in like a fresh and modern way. Um but that still speaks to those memories for so many people like myself.
0: It also speaks to this real basic and core concept of basketball, which is access, where other brands are saying, here, we're going to let you go to the uh, uh, very precious and elite level. You are giving glory to the access to it all of us know the truth of a very common experience which i think is the glory of the game in which you have such skill in kind of
2: locating i really appreciate that and i and i think that what you're talking about which is interesting is like we've come to think about basketball as this hyper competitive thing because that's what the nba is right it's like it's this elite level that 0.001% of people reach and that's what's shown on the TV for us every night. So that's what we think basketball is and that, you know, that's how you participate in the sport and all that. And I think that one of the things that I've really like learned from reading your work, Dave, is like the intentions of James Naismith when he created this game couldn't be farther removed from, from what the NBA is today. And that's not to say I don't love the NBA. I'm like a religious sports fan, but the intent and the spirit of the game is now so far removed from that, that I think we've actually forgotten why it was created in the first place.
1: So I want to take it back a little bit. Um, When you were in college and playing basketball, when did you make the decision to no longer pursue a basketball career? What was that like for you? And how did you figure out what was next?
2: Yeah. So this is a little bit of a long story, so forgive me. But um, I think before college, I was gearing up to sort of step away from the game in that competitive sense at some point, just because honestly, I was burnt out. Um, I had played AU basketball from the time I was nine and under to you know, 17 under or whatever. So it was just a lot of summers on the road, early practices, going to Vegas, whatever, you know, tournaments there were. Um, and, And this is a little bit off topic, but I think also part of the reason, and I've realized this in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years really, but I think part of the reason too, that I was always like, sort of had one foot in, one foot out in the real competitive world of basketball was I think it was hard for me to see myself there, right? And I think that we've talked a lot today about representation and how important it is to be able to see yourself in certain rooms or in spaces or whatever. And that time, like there was no six foot one Asian guards in the NBA that just and today it's still like Jeremy Lin is the guy <laughs> who did it. But um I think or even like this was pre-Steph Curry, right? Like this idea that somebody who looks even like the rest of us to some degree physically can can dominate at that level. And so, I think for me, I never quite saw that. And so, that also, I think, contributed in a way to my burnout around the sport and it's like, well, what is this all for? Like, I, I don't see myself getting there. And I think that that was you know, that was really tough and and I and I sold myself short in a lot of ways because of that because I, I didn't see myself so I didn't want to believe that it was possible. And I remember, you know, getting invited at times to like elite camps in the summer or whatever and I just wouldn't respond or I just wouldn't go because I was like, you know, maybe this is where I get exposed. Maybe this is where it's confirmed for me that like I don't belong at this level. Um, And so I never really pushed it, I felt like, as far as I could have. And that's a regret that has stuck with me. But at the same time, I think that it was meant to happen that way because it's what led to all these revelations around the sport for me and how I see it and how I experience. And to also, like, kind of forgive myself and be okay with the idea that, like, it it doesn't have to be about being hyper-competitive all the time for, for it to truly be basketball. like it's 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 been a shift to understand basketball as a dance like you know that's that is a major shift from how the media and the NBA and all these things talk about basketball is it's it's uh it's it's a dance so that's that's how i see it today
1: after you made the decision that you were no longer going to be competitive and it was time to walk away how did you start exploring that curiosity that you know the the drive you'd already built up around basketball and then take that and apply it to that next stage of your life where it's a world without basketball. You know, you have to find this new relationship to the game. How did it stay a part of your life in that time? And where did you put the rest of that energy that you had spent for so long on basketball?
2: Yeah. Well, initially, I <laughs> wanted nothing to do with the sport for a little while. As crazy <laughs> as that is, I was just like, I, I need a break. I'm burnt out. So, I think I didn't like pick up a basketball for like four weeks, which like for me is like at that time, it was like an eternity. Um, <laughs> so, that was the first thing. And then, uh, you know, I was I was really trying to figure out what was next for me and what was next in the sense of what like really grabbed me, what engaged me. And, um, and I kind of landed on apparel uh, because... And we talked a little bit about this early on, but I think growing up, seeing my favorite athletes use clothing as a form of self-expression and at times even like to think about Allen Iverson using clothing as like a uh, social commentary or his way of like rebelling against expectations and all these, like, I think that that's really powerful and there's not quite an intimate form of expression that's that like you put on your body in that way. Like, you know, it's the only thing I can think of that is that near and dear to to our heart. Like every day we're putting on clothes, we're wearing it, we're walking around in it. So that kind of got me thinking about clothing. And and as funny as it is, it didn't start with basketball because I think I was still so tired of it. But I was obsessed with denim. And it was like, how can I make the perfect pair of jeans? And <laughs> I quickly learned it's really hard to make, <laughs> to make denim. And I started also asking myself, why, why am I making it? And I couldn't really come up with anything beyond just like, I love denim. And so it, that kind of forced me to ask some deeper questions about, well, what do I love? And what is worth exploring in this, in this medium? And that brought me back to basketball.
1: I think what's interesting to note, just having some context, the denim you were excited about was raw denim. And I think a part of the approach you had with raw denim is very much still true today with the approach to Bristol studio. Um, because raw denim tells the wearer's story where they put their phone, their wallet, their keys, how active they are, how it wears over time. It kind of creates this one of one authentic story to the wearer. So I think with that in mind, even though maybe you didn't see it at first, it was very much in your subconscious that you were interested in authentic storytelling, and it was something that you were passionate about. You know, outside uh, outside of a court.
2: It's a great connection. I didn't I didn't think about that.
0: It, there's so much depth uh, in all that you do, and I love this. This, uh, you know, you kind of left basketball, went into your own wilderness, uh, uh, found design, rebalance. Now have this basketball informs design, design informs basketball. Have you thought more deeply, and I know you have, about basketball and other
2: things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I think about basketball in relation to everything. And I think like even this podcast is a great example of it, right? Where uh, I was kind of looking around at, Uh, other podcasts or just like the media in general and how basketball is spoken about. And again, kind of coming to this conclusion that nobody's talking about it in the way that I see it. And I want, I want those conversations. Um, And so I think that kind of prompted me to, to really explore the possibility of like what a basketball podcast could be and could look like. And I guess just to say a little bit about that, although you guys should be the ones that are really talking about it, (laughs) um, you know, I think that the narratives I hear around basketball are like NBA rumors, who's being traded where, Uh, contract talks, uh, Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole in practice, and then like, you know, people inciting, I don't know, other people to get riled up over these things. And that's again all fine and dandy, but nobody's talking about basketball as a dance. Nobody is saying, hey, there's this incredible game of basketball that's been around for 100, almost 150 years. And it is a really interesting way of kind of looking at the world and saying, how can we take, to use Dave, your work, how can we take the principles of this game and kind of like apply them to Ways that we engage with the world today, and ways that we engage with one another, and um, look at some of the issues that we face, and kind of say, "Hey, how can this game sort of at least provide some ideas about ways we can reapproach one another in these problems?" I know it's uh, perhaps an odd look for me
0: and Jake to be the messengers of uh, of this conversation. Um, but what kinds of, you know, like you said, a, a, a listener to 94 more might say, oh, great, that sounds like I'm going to hear a lot of basketball players talk a lot
2: about how, what they think about basketball. Is that the best way to do it? No, you know, I, I think that's not a wrong way to do it. And I think that there are a number of basketball players that would be incredible to have conversations with both current, retired, and future players. But I think also, like, there's a lot of people in in your field, Dave, like in, in academics or in art or in politics or, you know, uh, whatever field that may be. And to kind of draw these unexpected parallels between what the game of basketball is saying and what their work is saying is really exciting and hasn't been done before.
0: The hasn't been done before um, part is very compelling to me too because I feel like we've entered a, a time in the world where we've been doing a lot of the things we've been that have been done before and we keep finding ourselves in a place, again, that's not a place we want to be that we, though we've been before and might we find something more from basketball? And, and you seem to have thought ahead, uh, this way. Um, what are you hoping to
2: hear? I. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like you should be the one to talk about this. <laughs> this is no. So, for those who don't know and will know very soon, but, you know, Dave teaches a course at NYU called How Basketball Can Save the World and this is exactly his intersection. Um, and, you know, I, I can't even say anything original anymore about it because I've now read your work. And like everything that you've said is is like around the topic. It's like, yeah, it's maybe things I've thought about, but I definitely haven't articulated as well as you have. Um, And so, you know, like before this even started, I think we were just talking about uh, a chapter in your book where you bring up immigration and you talk about some of the challenges that we're facing today in the world where, you know, in the next 50 years... Uh, we're going to experience mass migrations in the way that like we haven't for probably hundreds of years or whatever. And that's due to a number of reasons, climate change, you know, wealth inequality, all of these different things. But you bring up this kind of like, and I like, I mean, this is the most complimentary word, but like this crazy idea of like, what if basketball provides this model for absorbing all of these people into new cultures and New systems and making them feel like they're a part of it. Yeah.
0: And guess what? Um, that was the original intent uh, to give new Americans. Um, in cities which were becoming increasingly manufacturer-employment-based. And there's these cramped spaces. What would we do? Uh, Because they didn't have access to large spaces, fields. Um, They couldn't afford them. They were uh, excluded out of them. Uh, And these were the (laughs) um, uh, white-skinned newcomers to uh, uh, America. uh, And they had it better than... Those who were not white, um, and lo and behold, this small space became the place where they found belonging. And that was 120 years ago, but wouldn't you know it, that that vehicle for belonging for newcomers became incredibly gloriously replicated in Canada. Um, through that moment of the Raptors championship and exposing this whole other culture of sport in Canada where one out of five people are from somewhere else. Two out of five people are either from somewhere else or have one parent who's from somewhere else. And here's this country aggressively pursuing multiculturalism and basketball has been the key. I didn't make that up. Um, you know, I didn't, it, and I don't know if that was, uh, uh, exactly the plan, but that's how it's played out. And I, I guess I, I love the way you've done it. And that's why we click so much because you, it, it's the opposite. We take these issues, immigration, trauma, loneliness, Race, gender, and we say, okay, these are big issues. I love basketball. I get so much like healing and integration and balance and understanding in that space. How can I translate that into fixing these problems that keep coming? You did it with you. You're doing it with design. You are insinuating principles into you know people's very immediate form of personal function and expression um, and now you've challenged so many of us to say okay you know what about cities what about you know medicine what about a whole list of problems education problems that, that you know, are like every four years, every two years, politicians are like, oh, I've got the answer. Yeah, but why are we here again?
2: And I think too, to just real quickly like run people through, because I know you probably know them off the top of your head, but like the success that they've had in Canada by using basketball, right? It's like something crazy where it's like, uh, I forgot what it was like, like the 90% of new Canadians, like basketball is the sport that they love the most or whatever that was. There was all these amazing statistics about how, you know, this country that does absorb more immigrants than anywhere else in the world and that has kind of used basketball as a model of integration, it's worked.
0: Yeah, so when you, you know... Watch the news, and in Marseille, in Malmo, in Phoenix, in all these different cities, yeah, they're arguing about this. I've got an answer. Put a basketball court over there. Put a basketball court over there. Put a basketball court over there and watch total strangers gather and dance, as you called it, can you, you've mentioned dance a few times. So when you dance on the basketball court, like, what
1: is that? What are you? Shooting threes from the half court.
2: <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Maybe that's what it
1: is. <laughs> he I'm models not. his game after Steph Curry now. So
2: we all think we're Steph Curry now. That's, that's the beauty yeah. and, and the curse of Steph Curry. Yeah. Um <laughs> No, well, who, are but-
0: your, who, are, who are the partners? What's the rhythm? What's the music? I, I think I
2: know what you mean, but I kind of... I think, um, so Masai and I, Masai who is you know running the brand with Jake and I, Masai and I have been playing basketball together since we're 10 years old. And I I used to say there's this chemistry between us, but after reading your book, Dave, I think it is more... Out there's like this alchemical experience that is taking place but I think together we've kind of come together on the basketball court and we've always arrived as you know our own people and then once we get onto that court something incredible happens where like Masai has this incredible selfless ability to like find me and he knows where I want the ball and he knows On which side of my body I want to catch it. And he knows, you know, how I feel in rhythm and where to hit me in those pockets. And, and so I think, like, that's an example of like, one of my greatest quote, unquote, dance partners in the game. And I'll do anything I can to whenever we play say like, hey, he's on my team. And not just that, because we also complement each other, right? Like, I and the selfish ball hog who's trying to score 50 points like Steph Curry but then he's the guy on the defensive end who's like getting stop after stop and it's like I'm going to guard their best player and you know he's only I don't know he'd hate me for saying this he's like 5 foot 7 but like he's going to guard he's going to guard whoever he needs to guard whether they're 6 6 and he's going to stop them he's going to find a way um, and he uses his brain. He uses his intelligence to do that and his physical gifts, obviously. But, like, I think that's uh, that's an example of somebody who's who's my favorite dancing partner on the court.
1: And he, he kind of gave himself up there. He also doesn't want Masai guarding him, which is what happens when they're not on the same team. So, just want to make sure that's, that's clear. True. <laughs> that's
2: very true.
0: What is clear is... Is the way you totally understand what you are, what he is, and it's not like uh, and and you value both equally. You you can't like conceive of yourself uh, dancing without him um, or Jake, or you you have this understanding and. I guess, you know, I don't know if enough people are understanding that in basketball, that's really the beauty of what happens. There may be one guy, you know, shooting the threes, and and that must happen, but it's not going to happen unless Masai does what he does, and the guy shooting the threes knows that. And what a society would be like if it wasn't all about the CEO. Or it wasn't all about the superstar, or it wasn't, you know where would what could we
2: create then? If we valued skill sets equally and you know, we 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 understood contributions as they are. And it was funny, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about like this is really random, but about the finance industry and just how, you know, there's people in finance who just make gobs of money that most people can never fathom and the value or the utility that it adds to society is arguably next to none. But the compensation and the lifestyle that it allows them to lead is like what we all, I don't know, or maybe this is giving myself away, but like what we all envy or what we, what we put up on a pedestal is like the thing that we want. Um, and I do think basketball provides an alternative model where it is like, Hey, you know, you're going to be recognized for your contributions to the greater good as a whole. And, you know, we're going to value the Draymond Green skill set as much as we value the Steph Curry skill set, because each are equally important. I want to jump in and ask this question really quick, Dave. Oh, whoa, Dave weird.
1: My professor, my apologies. Been hanging out with somewhere. I just lost myself on that. What what happened? I, I don't know. I don't know. I got caught up in Luke calling you Dave, and I panicked, I froze. With everything that you appreciate about basketball with this approach, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this podcast or fans of the brand who are passionate about the game, who love it, um, love their relationship to it, whatever that may mean. But then how do you create a business around it? How How do you let that passion, your why, guide you as you make decisions in business, in life, um, how does that happen? How do you get here?
2: I think that I'm figuring it out more and more every day, but I think that connecting with people who see the sport as I do is, is huge for me and makes me feel like I'm not alone and crazy. And I think that, um, it's funny, you know, I think that the feeling with this business that I'm constantly looking for, um, or not looking, not like actively seeking out, but that I like it, It the the feeling that I'm looking for to validate that I'm on the right path with something is the same feeling that I experience on the court. And it's when I feel that sense of transcendence, whether that's like, I'm lost in a conversation with you or Dave about oh my God, how cool would it be if like basketball was this thing that could solve this problem? And like, what if people got along in different ways? And like, you know, whatever that is, I think that, that makes me feel like I'm on the right path with something. And so, I think it's about really being aware of those moments where that sense of transcendence comes into my life and say, hey, that wasn't an accident. Like, there's a reason I felt so good about that. And maybe that's something I need to explore more. And uh, for me, that happens to be basketball and the culture that surrounds it.
1: I'm privy to, you know, obviously the business conversations and being in all the meetings with you. But for somebody listening, who's not as tapped into that side of the things that we do at Bristol, how do you take one of these ideas and find a way to bring it to life because I think it's very conceptual, or at times it can sound very, very conceptual, where it's hard to imagine. How do you bring that to life? You know, is that through garments? Is that through a concept piece? I mean, a content piece? Is that through a, a community-led activation? How do you take these ideas in your head that speak so passionately to these these things about basketball that we value, and then? bring them to life for other people to come interact with and
2: experience? It's a great question. And I think that it depends on the idea, right? And it's about pairing the idea with the right medium. So, like this podcast could not exist as a t-shirt or a pair of sweatpants. Or maybe it could. Maybe. We just like need to put our brains together and it would be crazy.
1: Just put Dave's face on it. It'll sell.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I think like what's important to me is exploring stories that I'm excited about um, and that get me fired up. And I think that again, to take this podcast as an example and what it will be and what it is, is, you know, it's, uh, it's, you, you're not gonna, you're going to have a different output having an hour, hour and a half conversation with somebody who's, you know, really focused on what basketball can do in the world for good and how it can change people and all of these things versus putting out maybe a t-shirt or a pair of sweatpants and that's not to say one is stronger or better than the other it's just to say that they are different ways of exploring similar questions and i think you know another thing jake that you mentioned is the content pieces and by that i mean the videos that we've been doing it's really to say like hey you know there's all these incredible specific stories around how people uh, relate to the game of basketball about how people use the game of basketball in their own lives how people use the game of basketball to find meaning in what they do and like let's actually put together a video that tells that story and I think that you know that medium is the visual medium of the video is right for the story about Pops Mensa Bansu who's like one of seven British-born basketball players to ever make it to the NBA, one of only two Ghanaian basketball players to ever play in the NBA. Like I think those types of more hyper-specific stories around basketball are right for the videos.
0: Is there a list that you have of the projects and kinds of things that Jake was talking about, these expressions, whether it's podcasts, the run,
2: apparel, yeah, there's, there's definitely a list, um, and I think the the tough reality that we brush up against is that as a business, all of these things, you have to fund them, right? So it's like constantly about making decisions that will either allow you to do that or will set you up in the future to do that or whatever it may be. But like one of the things that I really think about and we talked about in this conversation is AAU basketball, and I think that because that's also how Masai and I met, like, long-term for our brand is we really want to have an AAU basketball presence. And the idea though, is not to have so much an AAU basketball presence to have a team that dominates the competition, becomes a Nike EYBL phenomenon, or whatever it is. But it's like, Hey, how can we create like a, the first holistic AAU basketball program, right? That like connects, these kids who love the game of basketball to maybe other things that they're curious about in the world, but use basketball as a window into those things. And so yes, emphasize that we're all trying to win and we all need to play together to achieve that common goal. But like learning to cooperate with other people, like how many other areas in your life could we extrapolate out and say that that's relevant to. Um, And so I think that there's a real opportunity there. I think there's
1: a lot of people when you grow up and you play basketball that it's kind of looked at as what are you going to do with it? Are you going to go to the NBA? Are you going to play in college? Like you're always taught to look forward and think about your relationship with basketball from a competitive standpoint. What you're talking about, what Bristol Studio is centered on, is creating something that shows people there's a way to stay close to this game. You never have to get away from it. You can create unique businesses out of it where it's still very much the thing that you talk about every day, you focus on every day, you find ways to sell product or create videos or host conversations, but it's not so black and white. It's not just you make it to the NBA or, or it's over. There's a way to stay close to this thing and find your passion, even when that's no longer an option to play at the highest level. Um, And I think, you know, to hear your story and your relationship with the game really shows that path for people going through your relationship, playing in college, stepping away, feeling kind of lost, and then Adidas notices your designs and you get a global partnership with them. That doesn't that doesn't just happen. A lot of players want sneaker deals, and you got one when you transition to the clothing business, you know? So I think you're showing people that this is possible.
2: It's not something you have to lose. I appreciate that. Um, And yeah, totally. I think that that is definitely one of the the goals of what we're doing is to show these alternative routes around the game of basketball that, you know, don't necessarily just lead to the NBA, but lead to just fulfillment in your life you know, and that, and you can still maintain th- this beautiful sport, uh, as a, as a real important part of your life. How
0: often do you feel like you have to go back to the court to remind yourself
2: of the truth? Like how important is playing? For me, it's so important. Um, and I, again, like I think back to, uh, Something my wife has said to me many times, but she's like, like, you know, I'll never be mad at you for going to play basketball because every time you come back, you're lighter, you're easier, you're freer. Like, you are just, yeah, I think that describes it, but like you're available in a way that maybe sometimes in the course of all of our lives, with whatever stresses are thrown at all of us, like... You know, we our purview becomes super narrow and we're focused on not necessarily the wrong things, but like the things that we have to in order to feel like we're surviving or whatever. Yeah. And basketball allows me to really like zoom out in a way that nothing else does. And it's like, oh my God, that that's the perspective. Like that's yeah. that's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so for me it's like, man, if I don't play at least once a week it drives me crazy but like an ideal week for me and I'm working back towards it because COVID really was one of the hardest things in that it it destroyed my basketball schedule like pre-COVID I was playing three or four times a week also I aged a little bit in that time so it's harder for me to just go from you know not playing to playing three or four times again but that's the goal is to get back up to a place where I can just easily play three or four times a week and you know dance dance in those hours
0: because it makes you a better person
2: <laughs> 100% and I think that that would be confirmed by what my wife said. <laughs> I don't even yeah. need to say anything about that. Well, you know <laughs> the person people, who knows me the best and says you're better when you do this thing.
0: <laughs> I, I have I have had similar experiences and you know it's 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 kind of like people say well why do why why is it so important to do the poses in yoga uh the, the idea is to have alignment right um do the poses better alignment the more you you do your yoga practice the better alignment be a better person isn't it the same thing when yeah. you go on a basketball court the more you do the thing you emerge from the activity
2: a more aligned, better person. And and to lift some of your language, you know, it's the human alchemy that takes place on that court. It's the transcendence. It's the sanctuary. It's all of those, I don't even know what the right word is, but all of those things that affirm our humanity for us and that remind us of like, I think of another thing that you that you write about in your book which was this incredible I don't I guess a philosophy uh, in one of the African countries called Ubuntu and it was this idea that like I am because you are right so I exist only in relation to you or other people and how those relationships are maintained and the health of those relationships affirm you know how I see myself in the world and how I feel about myself then basketball is, is that it's like every time I step onto the court and I maybe don't I'm not conscious of it in every moment but I'm like yes like I am because you are and uh, I think that's why
0: it's so important Luke one final question if the world only followed basketball then blank then joy would ensue I don't even know what to say after that. Mike Mike drop